0: This is WSFI Spotlight, a conversation with Catholics living in the light.
1: Well, hello and welcome to this very special episode of WSFI Spotlight. I'm your host, Angela Tomlinson, and with us today on this very special day, the Feast of the Annunciation, is Father Dwight Campbell. Father Dwight Campbell is the spiritual advisor for WSFI Catholic radio from the Archdiocese of Milwaukee. he's the pastor of Our Lady of Mount Carmel Church, Catholic Church, and also Saint Therese and Father, I see that you did all your notes here to tell us about why this is one of the most magnificent days in the history of humanity.:
0: Yes, thank you Angela It's wonderful to be here and um, I know you didn't mention this, but my two parishes are in Kenosha, Wisconsin, just north of the border here, so I'm kind of close by. And I'd like to talk, uh, uh, to start my talk about uh, the Annunciation uh, with a little story, okay?
1: Very good.
0: And it's a story I heard. I was on a priest retreat led by Cardinal Raymond Burke uh, some years back, and he told the story to the priests that were gathered. Uh, it was the last day of our conference. And <clears throat> it was a story related to him by former Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, you know, who passed away a few years ago. And Justice Scalia told him the story that he had gone to Georgetown College for uh, his university education. And he had to take a, an oral exam before professors, you know, in order to graduate back then. And uh, he was asked different questions about, you know, different disciplines and and theology as well. And one of the professors on this panel who was questioning Mr. Scalia uh, asked him this question, what is the greatest event in the history of the world? And Antonin Scalia, uh, you know, stepping back mentally thinking, well, what am I going to say? Let me just review the great events in the history of the world, you know, for a few seconds he's thinking and then he uh, boldly says, well, the Battle of Waterloo and the professor who asked the question hung his head and shook it and then looked back up to Mr. Scalia and said, Mr. Scalia, you have gone through four years of A very fine Catholic education here at Georgetown, and you do not know what the greatest event in the history of the world was, and with a blank stare, Mr. Scalia just you know shook his head no, and he said the incarnation. Wow. (laughs) And uh, Antonin Scalia never forgot that, and uh, ever since I've heard that story, I've related the story in homilies and. Whenever I've had the opportunity to preach on the topic of the Annunciation and the Incarnation and birth of our Lord, I I tell that story because um, it's important to realize that the Annunciation celebrates the greatest event in the history of the world. Yes, the angel announced this great news to the Blessed Virgin Mary when he came to her that she would conceive and bear the son Jesus who would be a king in the line of David who would be our savior who would be the son of God and when Mary uttered her fiat let it be done to me as you say then through the power of the Holy Spirit the eternal word became man okay the son of God became man While remaining God and This is the greatest event in the history of the world and this is the beginning of our salvation and To understand the significance of the incarnation Which took place when Mary gives her fiat? uh, We have to understand the Trinity. So I just you know, I'll say a few words about that. Okay? Um, I was teaching about the Annunciation and the Incarnation to students at uh, St. Joseph's High School in Kenosha last semester, the, the fall semester, and trying to communicate to them why the Incarnation was the greatest event in the history of the world. I told them the story about Antonin Scalia. And I prepared for them some, some comments of the, the fathers of the church in regard to who Jesus is and to understand who Jesus is we have to go back to the Trinity and, under, and understand that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity the word who was made flesh, but we have to have an understanding of the Trinity first and Who the word is and I'll just quote here st. Augustine he says this and This is really a commentary on the first line of st. John's gospel in the beginning was the word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then, verse 14, chapter 1, and the Word was made flesh that dwelt among us. Well, especially that first line, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. St. Augustine says this The Father has never been without the Son, and yet no one has ever been, pardon me, and yet. The one who has never been without the Son begot the Son. He both begot and yet did not begin to do so. There is no beginning for the one begotten without beginning. He is the Son and yet he is begotten. And I'll just add to the words of the great saint, St. Augustine, he's speaking of how the Son was eternally begotten by the Father. The Father knows himself perfectly from all eternity. And that knowledge of himself, that reflecting upon himself, just like we know ourselves with ideas and words, the Father knowing himself perfectly begets the word. The Word is the the knowledge of the Father reflecting on Himself from all eternity, so there was no beginning, properly speaking, in time, as we would say, to the eternal Word. The eternal Word was always with the Father. The Father eternally begets the Son. And here's one more Father of the Church, St. Cyril of Alexandria, who was the great catechist, one of the great catechists in the church, and St. Cyril uh, says that it is not possible to take beginning from the words, "In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's not possible to take beginning of the only begotten Son as being understood in any way dealing with time, seeing that the Son is before all time and has his being before the ages the father is considered the source of the trinity okay the father begets the logos that's the greek word for word okay the word was in him being his wisdom his power his express image his radiance his likeness If there was no time when the father was without the logos the word it is necessary to confess also that the son who is all these to the eternal father is eternal so those uh, statements from saint augustine and saint cyril they communicate to us the truth that the Son, the eternal word, is eternal, had no beginning. He was always with the Father. And I'll just say this to give, you know, to complete the Trinity, okay? The Holy Spirit proceeds from the mutual love of the Father and the Son. And we say that in the Creed. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, from their mutual love. He is the fruit of of the love that has flowed from all eternity between the father and the son from all eternity the father begets the son there is a love between the father and the son a mutual love between them therefore the holy spirit from all eternity proceeds from that mutual love of the father and the son he is the fruit of their love and in fact in theology you can look this up in the catechism under the holy spirit one of the names of the holy spirit is fruit Okay, he is the fruit of the love between the Father and the Son. So, with, with that in mind, now we go to the Word becoming flesh, the Incarnation. And I'll turn to the Catechism. In the first part of the Catechism, the first pillar, you know, there are four pillars in the Catechism. The first pillar deals with the Creed. And in the Creed, we have the different... Um, lines of the creed being being discussed and in regard to the Son of God became man we we have a question and it just proceeds number 456 in the Catechism the question why Did the word become flesh? That's the question our catechism asks. And then the answer is given, beginning with number 456 in the catechism. The Nicene Creed, we say, the answer to this question, for us men and for our salvation, he, that is, the Son of God, the eternal Word, came down from heaven. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate of the Virgin Mary and was made man. Well, the Word became flesh for us, this is number 457, in order to save us by reconciling us with God, who loved us and sent his Son to be the expiation for our sins. Our human nature was sick. It had to be healed. Our catechism says fallen it had to be raised up, dead had to rise again. Closed in darkness, it was necessary to bring us the light. We were captives, we awaited a savior. Prisoners, we needed help. Slaves, we needed a liberator. Then number 459, the word became flesh to be our model of holiness. Jesus is our model, our supreme model. Jesus says, in the Catechism quotes his words, "'Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, "'for I am meek and humble of heart,' Jesus says. "'At the Transfiguration, the Father commands, "'listen to him.'" That was the second Sunday of Lent, you know, that that Transfiguration account from the Gospel. And Jesus is the model for the Beatitudes and the norm of the new law, that we have to love one another as Jesus has loved us. And finally, number 460, the Word became flesh to make us partakers of the divine nature, that divine nature which Adam and Eve had lost through their original sin. And the Catechism says, for this is why the Word became man, and the Son of God became the Son of Man, so that man, by entering into communion with the word, and thus receiving divine sonship, might become a son of God. So we have that beautiful exposition from the catechism, why did the word become flesh? And then, number 461, the subtitle is the incarnation. that's the topic properly today. This was all the background, okay. And the Catechism number 461 says, taking up John's St. John's expression, the word became flesh, John 1.18. The church calls incarnation the fact that the Son of God assumed a human nature in order to accomplish our salvation. He emptied himself taking the form of a servant, emptying himself, meaning when Jesus appeared in human form, you couldn't see his divinity. That's how we understand emptying himself, okay? Uh, Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even to death on the cross. And what the incarnation is, Properly speaking, the Word becomes flesh, the Son of God becomes man while remaining God, okay? And Jesus, as a result of the Incarnation, he has two natures. He has a divine nature. He's always been God. He's co-eternal with the Father. He's all-knowing. He's all-loving. But he also has a a human nature. And what makes up our human nature, Angela? Angela. What makes up our human nature? We, soul. Well, we have not only a soul, but body. a body and a soul. Jesus, he has a human body that was formed by the Holy Spirit and a human nature that was formed by the Holy Spirit as well. Okay. So Jesus is like us. He's true man. He has a human body with a human soul. And his human soul, as as we have a human soul, with a rational intellect and a free will, so Jesus had a human soul with a rational intellect and a free will. and uh, But Jesus is also the eternal Word made flesh, you see. And Jesus also had a divine mind with a divine will. This is the mystery of the Incarnation. That's why it is the greatest mystery after the Trinity itself. The Son of God becomes man while remaining God. Jesus has two natures, divine and human, but he's only one person, you see. He is a divine person, the second person of the Trinity, who united to his person a human nature. The, human, the humanity of Jesus receives its, its subsistence, its existence, you could say, okay, by being united with the person, the word. So Jesus... Is one person, a divine person, who has a divine nature because he is God from all eternity, and yet he takes a human nature to himself in time in the womb of the Virgin Mother. And this is why we can truly call Mary the Theotokos as the Council of Ephesus defined it because the, the Bishop Nestorius denied this. He, he called Mary the the Christ, the Christetokos. Okay. And
1: what's the difference,
0: Father? Well, Nestorius said that Mary was only the mother of the Christ, the human, the human person, okay, and not the divine person who united himself with Jesus after the birth. Well, no, the Council of Ephesus condemned that heresy. We, we understand by saying that Mary is the mother of God, that the Son of God did not begin his existence In the womb of Mary. He's co-eternal with the Father. But because Jesus is just one person, when Mary conceived Jesus in her womb, um, the Son of God united a human nature to himself, joined to his divine nature. And this is why we can truly call Mary the Theotokos, the God-bearer, the mother of God. And Jesus Like I said, this is a great mystery, the incarnation. How can this happen? Well, this is something we believe on faith. We can never understand how the Son of God can become man while remaining God. It's beyond our capacity, okay, to understand it. We believe it on faith. We can understand some things about the mystery, but not the totality of the mystery. For example, you know, Jesus has a human mind and a divine mind, okay? Well, his human mind, how could Jesus know the thoughts of men? Because he received infused knowledge from his divine mind. Jesus also, and I'll, I'll just quote here too, um, um, because it's rather important to understand who Jesus is, okay? He, Jesus, um, his hum- in his human knowledge, he had, um, and I'll quote here number 473 from the Catechism: the intimate and immediate knowledge that the Son of God made man uh, has of the Father. In other words, this is the beatific vision. Okay, immediate and intimate knowledge the Son of God has of the Father. Okay, like the saints in heaven now have uh, the beatific vision; they see God uh, without any any concepts. Uh, Jesus had this from his the moment of his conception. This is the, the teaching of St. Thomas Aquinas and Pius XII. He also had knowledge, um, as number 473 of the Catechism says, to show divine penetration into the secret thoughts of human hearts. Well, this was knowledge infused from his divine mind into his human mind. But Jesus was truly man, and he also had experiential knowledge, okay? meaning... Um, he had knowledge that he learned from from human experience. What it was like to in the carpenter shop to make a table or whatever with, with Saint Joseph, to uh, experience you know rain falling upon him. This is another type of knowledge that you that Jesus had, and Jesus. Yeah,
1: so when when the scripture says he grew in knowledge, no, he grew in wisdom. Yes, is that what this to? is this is
0: what I'm getting to. So when when Saint Luke tells us that he grew in wisdom and knowledge, he could grow in that experiential knowledge, okay, okay. in human experience. This is what he grew in. But um, you know, Jesus, as the Catechism says, he enjoyed. This is number 474. Christ enjoyed in his human knowledge the fullness of understanding of the eternal plans he had come to reveal. Okay. So, Jesus had full knowledge of who he was, of the plan of salvation, that um, he was coming as our Savior. He was going to die for our sins. And another thing, you know, this is the mystery of Christ, too. Remember, in the garden, Jesus says, Father, if it's possible, remove this cup but not my will but yours be done." There he's speaking with his human will in his humanity because being truly human, all of us have an aversion to suffering and Jesus had a natural aversion to suffering. If there was some other way that he could accomplish the redemption, Father, if it's possible, but not my will, my human will, but yours be done. So with all that having been said, let me now move to Mary because we, we want to return to her, because the Annunciation is also a feast of her. And I'll I'll go to uh, my favorite book on Mary of all time. Okay, you noticed it <laughs> when I walked in. It's well worn. Yes, it's worn. It's uh, it's all I have writing in it. It's the cover is taped up. It's um, it's the the book that. St. John Paul II uh, used to carry around and use for his daily reading, True Devotion to the Blessed Virgin by St. Louis de Montfort. And in this beautiful book about true devotion to Our Lady, at the beginning, the, the opening chapters, St. Louis speaks of the foundation for true devotion to Mary. And here he speaks of, you know, how Mary is the mother of God. and starting at number 14 in The True Devotion. If you've read The True Devotion, my listeners out there, uh, St. Louis de Montfort's book is very good because it's kind of like the catechism. It's, it has numbers for for uh, the paragraphs throughout the whole work. And in number 14 begins St. Louis's discussion of Mary's part in the Incarnation, the greatest event in the history of the world, remember? okay, And St. Louis says in number 14, I acknowledge that Mary, being a mere creature, is, compared to the um, infinite majesty of God, less than an atom. Okay? The great Lord, who was ever independent, self-sufficient, never had and does not now have any absolute need of the Blessed Virgin for the accomplishment of his will. In other words, God didn't have to send Jesus through Mary, but he did and in number 15 st louis says however considering things as they are because god has decided to begin and accomplish his greatest works through the blessed virgin he will not change his plan in the time to come for he is god and he does not change and then he speaks of the relationship of each of the persons of the Trinity with Mary in regard to the Incarnation. He says, God the Father gave His only Son to the world only through Mary. Mary alone merited it and found grace before God. Now, when he says Mary merited it, he's speaking in the sense that you know she didn't merit her Immaculate Conception. okay, But um, this was a freely given gift a singular gift by God Mary preserved her from all sin but throughout Mary's life she she continued through her free will to grow in grace and the Saints tell us like Saint Bernard Mary her purity her her holiness uh, attracted the eternal word in order that he would take flesh in her womb Okay, and St. Louis says the Son of God became man for our salvation, but only in Mary and through Mary, and God the Holy Spirit formed Jesus Christ in Mary. The Father, he says, this is number 17, imparted to Mary his fruitfulness to enable her to bring forth his Son and all the members of his mystical body. Now, what later saints and and great theologians have said is that God the Father gave Mary, in some sense, a share in his eternal begetting of the Son. Mary shares in this because the Father eternally begets the Son. He's always begetting the Son. And when Mary conceives Jesus in her womb, she somehow participates in the Father's eternal begetting of the Son. And Mary helps to bring forth the members of Christ's mystical body, okay? Now, the Second Vatican Council and the Catechism of the Catholic Church teach that Mary, not only uh, did the Holy Spirit form Jesus, the head of the mystical body in and through Mary, but the Holy Spirit also forms the members of Christ's mystical body in and through Mary. And St. Louis says the more the Holy Spirit sees Mary in a soul, the more he conforms Christ to that soul. The Second Vatican Council and the Catechism teach that Mary uh, generates and forms Christ in us, you see. That's what Mary does. So this is this is all the result of the, the incarnation because Mary through the Holy Spirit conceived and formed Christ the head of the mystical body. And she does so with we who are the members. And I think I'm about out of time, aren't I? Do we yes, have
1: we're, we're, yes, we only have a few minutes. But Father, I do have a question. I had heard Mary she's you mentioned her Immaculate Conception. Yes. I was told that the Holy Spirit's the uncreated Immaculata, <coughs> that she's the created Immaculata. Yes, well, well,
0: this is the, the teaching and, I could say, great insight of one of my favorite saints, St. Saint Maximilian Kolbe. Oh. He struggled with um, Mary's words to St. Bernadette at Lourdes when Mary told Bernadette in answer to, who are you, what's your name? Mary said, I am the Immaculate Conception. In other words, referring this, this singular grace to her very being, I am the Immaculate Conception. And the day that Saint Maximilian Kolbe was taken away by the Nazis, the final time to, to go and, and die in Auschwitz, okay, um, he wrote these words, Mary, you are the created Immac- Immaculate Conception, the Holy Spirit is the uncreated Immaculate Conception. If you think about, I was explaining you know, yes. a few minutes ago how the Holy Spirit proceeds from the mutual love of the Father and the Son. He is the, the fruit of their mutual love. You could say that, in a sense, He was conceived by the mutual love of the Father and the Son. Well, Mary... Is, is the created Immaculate Conception. She is the spouse of the Holy Spirit, as we call her. And she shows that same, uh, well, receptivity. The Holy Spirit in the Trinity receives the love of the Father and the Son and fructifies it. Okay? Yes. Mary receives, received the, the uh, grace of the Holy Spirit, made it fruitful through the Holy Spirit in bringing forth the Word. Okay.
1: So that makes sense. Yes. Perfect symmetry. It is. That only God can do. So Father, before we close, will you give us your priestly blessing?
0: Certainly. And um, I'm going to I'll just explain it a little bit here. I'm going to include the Immaculate Heart of Mary and the most pure heart of St. Joseph in my blessing. We just celebrated a couple days ago the the feast of St. Joseph, who um, was the greatest saint next to Mary. Okay, uh, It's the teaching of St. Thomas Aquinas and saints that when God chooses someone for a vocation, he bestows upon that person the grace to fulfill it. Mary had the greatest vocation of anyone, St. Joseph the second greatest vocation, because Mary conceived Jesus Joseph was the husband of Mary and the virgin and legal father of Jesus, and had the next greatest amount of grace of anyone. Okay, so through the intercession of the sorrowful and immaculate heart of Mary and the most pure heart of Saint Joseph, may Almighty God bless you all and keep you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Amen. Father Dwight Campbell, that was so beautiful. Thank you on this beautiful feast of the Incarnation, thanks for being here at WSFI and God bless you and your great work.
0: Thank you, Angela. This has been WSFI Spotlight. For more information on this or any other program, email info at wsfiradio.org.